From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest LPL Market Signals. Jeff Bookbinder here, your host for today with my friend and colleague, Adam Turnquist. Adam, first Market Signals of 2024. Uh, exciting way to uh, ring in the new year, talking about markets, reviewing a great 2023, uh, certainly, and um, sharing some thoughts on on the new year. How are you? How was your New Year's? Good. Happy New Year to you and lots to talk about when we think back on 2023. Certainly a challenging year, but a, a great year for equities. We'll go over some of that today. And Any New Year's resolutions for you this year? New Year's resolutions. Well, um, I guess I'd I'd probably say um, try to be a little bit more accurate with forecasts. How about that? Because we were we were too low. We were too conservative. Uh, certainly, if you're going to miss on forecasts, you're better off missing low than high. Uh, so maybe that's one. Um, I don't know what. Maybe uh, beyond that, expand the wardrobe. You know, I. I we were just talking before we uh, started recording here that, uh, you know, the, the sport coat collection is kind of limited these days. So maybe expand that. How about yourself? I think I could qualify for that one. I think my my one New Year's resolution was to golf more, but my wife didn't like that. So I'm going to go with sleep more this year. Get to bed a little earlier. Oh, I like that one. That's that's excellent. Good health. Good health. Um, so um, here's our agenda for today. Um, by the way, we took the week off last week. So uh, uh, back to for the first time in two weeks. Um, we're going to review last year um, and last week uh, for markets. Of course, we know it was real strong. Uh, not only that, but it was a strong finish. Uh, we are on a nine-week win streak uh, for the S&P 500. I think I got that right, Adam. Uh, the um, Next, we're going to go over the weekly market commentary, which you can find on LPL.com. Uh, just posted here this morning. It is Tuesday, January 2nd, 2024, as we're uh, recording this. It is on hits and misses. So what did we get right? What did we get wrong? So we're certainly going to try to get more right than wrong uh, this year. And with our forecasts, as we always do, uh, you know, I guess, um, sure, we had some misses, but I think our predictions were actually generally better than consensus. <laughs> so, you know, we've got that going for us. Uh, so next, um, charts to watch. So, of course, that's your specialty, uh, Adam. We've got a lot of great um, analysis for you, some seasonality, uh, which, you know, a lot of people talk about as we start a, a new year and, you know, we're done with tax loss harvesting. We're in this, you know, the Santa Claus rally period uh, and all of that. So uh, then, of course, as we always do, we'll finish up with a preview of the week. Uh, ahead with the uh, the economic calendar. So, starting with um, you know the recap. I mean, I mentioned we were up, um, you know, nine straight weeks for the S and P total return for the S and P for the year over twenty six percent. Of course, just outstanding. We have had two years that were a little better than that recently, uh, twenty nineteen and twenty twenty one. So I think it's the third best year in the past uh, decade, but still we'll take it. Just a little shy of all-time highs on the S&P, but we did end the year uh, with an all-time high on, on the Dow. You know, so Adam, I mean, if you ask me for just one takeaway on the year, you know, in terms of the markets anyway, it's it's really about tech and the Magnificent Seven. You see here on the sector uh, column, year-to-date column, you've got communication services, which is where Alphabet and Meta are. 
up 56% uh, for the year. You've got tech up 58%, certainly NVIDIA and Microsoft, a big part of that, Apple too. Uh, and then you have consumer discretionary, um, which is where uh, Amazon and Tesla are up 42 right? Huge year for growth, uh, huge year for, for tech. So that, that would probably be my my one uh, key market takeaway. What what would you highlight, um, you know, in terms of markets last year uh, that uh, stands out to you? I think one of the most interesting aspects of last year was just how well seasonality trends played out. If you think throughout the year, you know, we started off with the trifecta. We had a positive Santa Claus rally, positive first five days, positive January. Average return for those periods historically is about seven, just over 17%. Obviously, we did better, better than that this year. But if you go through the rest of the year, the worst month for the S&P was in September. That's historically in line with seasonal periods. Um, the lows were set in the second half in October, another one that, that's right in line with seasonality. Best month for the year, November, of course, up nearly 9% for the S&P. That lined up with seasonality. So I think it's been pretty interesting to see these seasonal trends play out. It doesn't always happen that well, um, but last year was certainly a a pretty strong seasonal period, or at least uh, aligned with the seasonality pretty well. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, you know, I think it, you know because it was such a growth led year, it was also the year of the U.S. Right, U.S. continued to outperform international, which has really been the trend for most of the past decade. Uh, so that stands out uh, as well. And of course, why did the markets do so well? We had a soft landing. We had falling inflation. We had that dramatic drop in interest rates later in the year uh, related to the Fed pivot. Um, so all of that, that story, um, you know, wasn't really um, so obvious to the market that that was a great bullish narrative in late October. <laughs> but I think the, you know, 14% rally the last two months of the year uh, certainly, um, the market voted that those, you know, that narrative was playing out, and the concerns about stubborn inflation and recession had really uh, moved to the background. Uh, so, uh, you know, I mentioned rates down. You know, remarkable comeback for bonds. I think it was the best uh, two-month rally for the uh, Bloomberg Aggregate Bond Index since 1982, up about eight percent. So you basically went from you know down three to up five and a half for the year for bonds uh, after November 1st. So just just tremendous. We know rates collapsed. Uh, actually, we'll, we'll talk about rate, our rate forecast in a minute, but we actually almost got that right. You know, our original forecast was 325 to 375, and we ended the year at about uh, 387. <laughs> the problem is we changed it intra-year. Uh, maybe that's a theme, Adam, for the year. We should have left our forecasts at the start of the year alone they would have been about as good as anything out there, right? Yeah, but we changed them. We changed them inter-year, and then uh, you know ended up kind of regretting uh, the, those decisions. But nonetheless, if you're going to be wrong, you know, on a stock market forecast, better to be a little conservative, uh, we think, than, than certainly um, too aggressive. So, uh, so strong gains for bonds. Um, you know, the the surprise. Uh, from from Lawrence Gillum, our fixed income strategist for last year, I think was how strong high yield was, right? But um, uh, you know the the key point I think that he would make in reviewing last year is your starting yields and your end yields were about the same. That left you with a coupon, and the coupons were pretty good. So even though we didn't get much movement in rates 
from January 1 to December 31st, we got a pretty good uh, year for, for bond returns. So um, that's that's a key takeaway there. I think maybe the the disappointing year for oil, although it's good for consumer spending, declines in oil, I think, was another surprise, uh, especially given the um, the geopolitical situation. Anything else you'd call out here? I think one of the other things that stood out was just last over the last two months, you noted how the egg had its best two month run since the 80s. The 60-40 actually did well. It was bonds rallying and stocks rallying. I think the 60-40 bespoke put out some research. It was the best two-month period for the 60-40 portfolio um, nearly since 1990, up almost 12% based on the, the basket that they looked at using the S&P 500. So pretty remarkable run there. And then when you look at energy prices, yeah, big disappointment, especially in natural gas. You can see year-to-date down almost 50%. You had an unseasonably warm December that really weighed on the overall heating demand outlook and really exacerbated kind of the supply demand imbalance right now for natural gas. But when we look at crude oil, technically, we do think um, the lows were likely set kind of in the 64 to $68 range. Prices were oversold. We had a little bit of a rally off that level. Obviously, a lot of that's been more predicated on geopolitical risk coming in with over the weekend now, we have Iranian uh, warships entering the Red Sea, but I think enough to buoy crude oil above that kind of $64 to $68 level. A little more time, though, I think for uh, uh, for upside here, it could be a little bit of a consolidation as as we kind of form a, a base down here. Yeah, we're, we're hanging in there in the low 70s uh, right now on, uh, on crude oil, so we'll certainly watch that as a barometer of what's going on in the Middle East. Uh, so, um, you know, I mentioned up front that we didn't quite get to an all-time high on the S&P 500, but we sure got close, Adam. The, um, I've, heard, I've heard a metaphor from um, uh, Sam Stovall over at CFRA. We're, we're big fans of Sam's. Uh, he refers to new all-time highs as rusty doors. You know, you got to like kick at them a couple of times before they eventually uh, open. Uh, that That seems to fit. Uh, this scenario, how how uh, how long do you think it's going to take us to get through the all time high? Do you think that's that's going to you know happen early this year, or or do you think we maybe need to roll over here in the first quarter? Tough to say. Uh, I, I do like Sam's rusty door analogy. I've heard that one before, so it takes a few pushes to open it up. I think when you look at the broader market and look at some of the other indices, whether that's the Nasdaq 100 or even the the Dow. Uh, Jones Industrial Average, and even global indices that have already made new highs, I think it's likely you'll see the S&P 500 follow suit. If you look at the advanced decline index for the S&P 500, which just tracks the, the number of advancing shares versus declining shares, that's already broken out to new highs. Typically, when that leads, you see the S&P 500 follow. And then on the chart that we we brought today, you can see on the bottom panel just the overall participation in the rally. It started off pretty narrow when we kind of gapped above key resistance at 4,400. That was the Magnificent Seven really doing the heavy lifting. However, you did see broad participation build into this market as we went into year end and again, closed just shy of that record high, but I think we'll get there. And then of course, the next level you're gonna to wanna to watch is 4,819. That's the all-time intraday high, but moving in the right direction, a little bit concerned when you look at it on a short-term basis, just how overbought the market is. Typically, when you see these kind of parabolic rallies, 
They do not end in a sideways correction. Typically, you get a, a pullback that retraces generally anywhere from a third to two thirds of that initial move. So we could see a de decent pullback um, if we start to you know, roll over a little bit here and take a bit of a breather. But the good thing is we're in a bull market, and I think that would be a buying opportunity for investors to re-enter this bull market. Yeah, a lot of people are talking about participation. I actually have been impressed. The small caps have had a really nice run uh, the past couple of months. I, I think something like 90% of the Russell 2 is now over its 50-day uh, moving average. You've got you know really strong... Um, really strong statistic for, for large caps, right, above these uh, moving averages. So there's good breadth now. We needed that. You can't just have seven stocks carry you every year. Uh, really, really good to see a healthy healthy sign uh, for the bull market. Um, how about the 10-year the here, Adam? I mean, this, actually, we're getting a little bit of a move higher this, this morning, um, back towards 4%. Uh, you know, how do you see this shaking out is is the 10-year kind of finding a floor here or do you think we could move lower i think there's still more downside risk for yields you can see this developing downtrend that started off right around that five percent level there's a head and shoulders top formation that that developed right around that period and from there it's really been a downhill ride for yields of course supporting equity markets but when we look at support for the 10-year, there's some around 360. And as you highlight here, the, the big support level that we're going to want to watch for 2024 is kind of this call it, uh, 331 area that goes back to the, the lows that we witnessed in late 2022. I think for equity markets, the best case for yields is just consolidation, call it sub 4%. Maybe that's the, the cap on yields for next year. Stocks did very well in that environment. If you look back, late 2022 and then into the summer of 2023 yields more or less went sideways stocks went higher i think that would be a pretty good scenario for equity markets this year yeah no doubt just like last year rates are going to be a big key uh, in determining where where stocks go this year uh so uh let's go to the you know the painful part of the presentation here adam where we have to you know talk about what we missed uh although we we had some some hits too uh, so, um, you know, I guess uh, th this is maybe a comfortable miss to talk about, right? Um, we, we generally we got it right that we thought inflation would come down quite a bit, uh, and that the Fed would, you know, end its rate hiking campaign. Um, we thought it would end its campaign a little earlier, and we thought maybe inflation would come down a little bit faster. Is that fair? Yeah, it was a, a tough year, um, but we didn't get the the inflation direction, and we 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 did anticipate that we'd get the pause. I think it's just we had this kind of slower than expected uh, cooling in inflation. Of course, a resilient U.S. economy, notably the American consumer, really helped drive that, um, and I think kept the the Fed comfortably higher for longer. As we look at, you know, you can see in the the dark blue line. With the Fed really pausing in July, but I don't think there was any type of of confidence in a pause back in July. It was really until you know this last FOMC meeting in in December where I think the market became confident that the rate hiking cycle is over, and it was really just about guessing the Fed. And if you think back in two thousand early two thousand twenty three, everyone was anticipating kind of the same thing. Uh, a pause and, and cuts, I remember coming as early as the fall. Sometimes they would get baked into, you know, that August, September timeframe. 
Of course, those got pushed back as the economy did better than expected. So a tough year, um, but I think importantly, inflation came down to a level where the Fed's now comfortable, no longer raising rates, and the markets welcome that message. Yeah, and certainly, I mean, we we did expect a, a mild uh, and short recession at some point during the year, um, and that was expected to bring down inflation. So that's part of why you know inflation came down maybe a little more gradually than we expected. But we were right in saying, I think all year, that whatever mild slowdown or contraction we might have had, we thought the market was going to manage through it uh, quite well because uh, consumers and companies had been preparing for it, right? And we were going to get that Fed pause. Uh, so, um, you know, a few hits, I guess, uh, but <laughs> certainly some misses uh, uh, in there. So uh, uh, in the, the housing, the housing market, I think that's a win too. When we think about when we, I was reading through our outlook for 2023 and we had noted how multifamily units were surging in terms of the build outs and that would eventually lower the rent component of CPI, which is a big factor in, in inflation. And we did see the, the shelter component of CPI fall considerably in the later half of 2023. And of course, um, we were relatively bullish, I think, on the, the housing sector, we'll call it, as well as we kind of witnessed um, those multifamily units build and just the dynamics playing out with supply in the housing market. So yeah, we'll, we'll call that a win, I guess. Great year for home builders, which we had highlighted uh, on a number of occasions. So good, good call out there. Um, so you know, turn to the stock market. You know, in in a sense, I I feel really good about this forecast. You know, we started the year forty four hundred to forty five hundred uh, as our year end fair value range, and we were there pretty close to the end of the year, <laughs> right? But then we ended up you know having that strong late year rally, uh, pushing the S and P up you know north of forty seven hundred. So sure, that was a miss, uh, but. Um, consensus. Oh, and we did take the target down 100 points uh, in early summer, so that was a miss. You know, 43.50. We should have left it at 44.50 uh, at the midpoint. But when you compare that to consensus, I highlighted that here on this slide. You know, 40.17 was strategist consensus in May, right? And there have been some high-profile bulls that have gotten some you know positive uh, media attention, certainly. But when you look at collectively the consensus and the majority of forecasters. Uh, they were below the 4350 uh, that we were at uh, for the back half of the year. So um, I'd, I'd call this probably more of a more of a hit than a miss, uh, just based on what our competitors were doing. Yeah, and we kept the the overweight equity recommendation, which was a challenge when you flash back to the the banking crisis or mini banking crisis, whatever you want to call it, when the S and P was down to right around 3800. Of course, you're worrying and flashing back to the, the global financial crisis and systemic risk sweeping across the market. Of course, no one really knew what was going to happen there. We didn't have very good precedent when you think about the, the GFC era. So um, we, we did stick with our equities uh, overweight recommendation. And, and at that point, I think in, uh, I believe in April or May, we also, to take advantage of the dislocations in the banking sector, we went positive on preferreds as well. And that one's, I think that would be another another hit for LPL research last year. Yeah, absolutely. So when we, after the banking crisis, uh, a lot of firms, you know, took their targets down and went underweight equities. Um, even at S&P 500, 3,800, we hung in there uh, with that um, 
equity overweight, and that certainly uh, was proven to be the correct uh, decision. We did take off that equity overweight a little early, <laughs> right? Wish we were taking it off now <laughs> instead of taking it off back then. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, again, um, they handled that generally better than the industry. Uh, so turning to rates, um, you know, this is another one where we we wish we had just left it. <laughs> three and a quarter to three seventy five was our forecast at the start of the year, uh, and we just finished a little above the high end, Adam. As it turned out, after that collapse in rates uh, over the the last couple months of the year. Yeah, this I don't not envious of Lawrence. Gillum, our, our chief fixed income strategist over the last couple of years, predicting interest rates amid one of the, the uh, biggest rate hiking cycles we've seen in you know, 40 years has, has been obviously a, a challenge. We witnessed some huge volatility in the fixed income market and it, fixed income volatility is still pretty high right now compared to the VIX. So I, I think Lawrence is going to have a challenging job ahead for, for 2024, but again, if we would have stuck with our our guns, we'll call it, and, and held our original forecast, we'd be right in line there. But uh, I think a, a pretty challenging market for fixed income last year to to really nail the the number here. Yeah. So um, you know, our target is three uh, three seventy five to four twenty five for the end of twenty twenty four. Now, so we think rates will be uh, maybe just a touch lower uh, when. Um, all is said and done. So um, I guess we'll move on from that. And uh, this is where we get into seasonality, Adam. And and well, first, we'll start with the nine week win streak, which is pretty rare, right? I I know we haven't seen one of these since 2004. Um, st the statistics to me say we maybe need a period of digestion here in the short term. So the one liner short term pain, long term gain, I think when you look at the history of nine week winning streaks. There's only been nine of them since 1950. On average, a week later, only a third of those are higher. So pretty low odds in terms of turning this into a 10 week winning streak, especially when you get some of the, the price action today, bit of a, a struggle on the first trading day of the year, but longer term still looks pretty good. Average returns up on average 8%, median 12, 12.2% uh, and then Seven, roughly 78% of the time, the index has been higher. So that momentum begets momentum kind of strategy here when you see these these nine-week winning streaks. But I, I think you could see a little bit of a, a pause here, um, at least this week when we look at price action. Yeah, just like when we started last year, we had a lot of these studies pointing to double-digit gains uh, for 2023, which obviously we got even better. I think this year, uh, these and other studies are maybe pointing to high single-digit gains. <laughs> so uh, in general, uh, and that's what we're seeing here. Another study that points to high single-digit gains is, um, you know, after a 20% up year, you on average get a gain of about 9% in the in the following year. So um, this, is, um, this is the AAII bull bear sentiment index. I know our, our um, colleague George Smith put this together, and I know you studied this too, Adam. Uh, this is a massive move in bulls relative to bears, right? You could see it, you know, with this arrow pointing higher, um, pretty rare and tells me that maybe we're getting close to the point where, uh, where we have too much optimism, right? And so the next, uh, here we have the table of the returns that you tend to see after these, uh, bullish readings, 
where you have a lot of bulls relative to bears uh, and you see the returns. Well, here's another one returns, you know, 8% uh, on average after you're in this uh, quintile of standard deviations of bullishness relative to bearishness. We're not in the very bullish range um, where you tend to see weaker returns, but, but, you know, the returns are a little bit softer than you tend to see when, when the, the survey of an individual investors is more bearish. Yeah, not exactly solid three-month average return at 1.7%. And I think when you bring this, you know, the collective evidence here in terms of sentiment getting pretty extreme and, of course, overbought conditions getting pretty extreme, that does raise the odds of a, a potential short-term pause or a pullback. No guarantees, but I think it does definitely elevate those odds. We could see a little bit of softness here, whether it's in January, February, um, when we we start to see that play out. Yep, absolutely. So you're probably going to get some tax loss or delayed tax loss selling hit in January, um, right? And then, uh, you know, because people didn't want to take the tax hit last year and pay taxes this year. Um, so, you know, that's kind of aligned with this study, right? That maybe you'll get that. And we're seeing that today with uh, Apple shares down on an analyst downgrade. Uh, big techs are underperforming. So you might get a little bit of a correction uh, in the big techs that had such a strong year in 2023 as people take some uh, some profits. And of course, stocks are getting a little expensive. Yields maybe have found a little floor. <clears throat> so it all kind of lines up. By the way, seasonality in a presidential election year, uh, you tend to see some volatility early in the year. So maybe we'll see that. Um, it, it just all points to this year being a little bit more of a grind uh, and maybe not an up 20 kind of a year, you know, hopefully we can do 10, but but our forecast, um, the LPL fair value target on the S&P 500 of uh, 48.50 to 49.50 implies about a 6% return from here, uh, something like that. So not bad, but, but not, we're certainly not forecasting, uh, you know, another booming year uh, like we had last year. Uh, so, uh, so Adam, the Santa Claus rally, uh, we're losing our gains today, but we have another, what, trading session and a half here. Uh, we we hopefully can end positive and end, and and continue the streak. We have a streak yeah, going on the rally game. Cutting it a little close, I, I think, with today's price action. We're still above the level, which is going to be 47.47. That's the line in the sand for a positive Santa Claus rally. If you're not familiar with the Santa Claus rally period, it's represented by the last five trading days of the year plus the first two trading days of the year. It's a seasonally strong seven-day stretch. Your average returns are about, uh, as you can see here, 1.3%. So pretty impressive for a seven-day seven day stretch. And then a lot of people look at this to extrapolate it out into what it means for the rest of the year. It's got a pretty good predictability rate in terms of if Santa shows up and you get a positive Santa Claus rally, you can see the next year returns up 10.4% with 74% of those positive. On the flip side, of course, if Santa doesn't show up, you get the lump of coal, average returns only 4.1% for the S&P 500 next year. Hopefully Santa comes. Hopefully he delivered presents <laughs> to, to everyone over the last uh, five days, but we still got two more in this stock market period. Uh, so we'll see. Going to be close. All right, so we had a great December, um, what, S&P up about 8%, uh, I believe, if memory serves, and um, 
and and now we're going into January, of course, and the seasonals look pretty good there, there too. Yeah, so we'll see if the momentum can continue into January. More recently, it hasn't been a, a super strong month. I think it's ranked seventh over the last, uh, I think it was the last 20 years. I remember the exact ranking order, but overall, it's a pretty solid year uh, or pretty solid month for the S&P 500. You can see some of the various return scenarios going back to even 1950. Um, so and it has a relatively high positivity rate in terms of January finishing positive. So, of course, we'll be looking at the first five days of January. There's a, an indicator goes from, from Yale Hirsch and the Stock Traders Almanac. And then, of course, the January barometer, if January is positive, or as the saying goes, as goes January, so goes the year. We'll see if we get that trifecta, but we got to get that to, to really get the trifecta, we need a positive Santa Claus rally period. So we'll we'll start there and see how it goes for the rest of the month. Yeah, all all those patterns pointed bullish last year certainly, and and markets delivered. So um, yeah, so good seasonality, but not great. Um, you know, heading into January, uh, but then we still are in the positive, you know, six month period for selling mango away. So uh, I know that that's looking a little bit further out. But generally speaking, seasonality would be a tailwind between now and April. Um, so uh, let's let's preview the week ahead, and then and then we'll wrap. A lot, lot of good content here. So uh, it's a huge week. I mean, last last week, you know, most people weren't paying any attention, and there really wasn't any data, uh, any meaningful data, I guess. But um, yeah, we don't get any time to kind of ease into 2024 because we have the ISM and the tomorrow, and then the jobs report or ISM on. Um, uh, Wednesday, I should say, for those who are uh, listening to this on Wednesday, um, the um, the jobs report is going to get the most attention. I've actually seen consensus numbers uh, in the range, depending on your source, between 155 and 170. Right, we were at 199 last month. Uh, the jobs report for November. I actually, I think there might be a little bit of downside to this number. Um, I mean, it's really. This is notoriously a hard number to predict, right? A lot of people following the data, including our chief economist, Jeffrey Roach, more closely than I do, uh, you know, have a difficult time uh, predicting this. But after a 199 and and with how strong the economy was, you know, last year, it just feels like we're in a little bit of a slower period of job growth based on some of the other indicators that we've seen. So, um, yeah, I think something closer to maybe 150, 160, rather than the 200 we got last month, makes sense. Um, the unemployment rate's expected to tip, tick up marginally as more people come back into the labor force. That's a good thing. And then average hourly earnings, 0.3%. We want to see 0.3s. That's a normal rate. If you have, if you analyze that, you've got, you know, 3.6% per year. That's consistent with a, you know, a reasonable inflation rate, generally close to the Fed's target. Right. We don't have to get wage growth to 2%. We really have to just keep it in the threes, uh, and that should be healthy. So uh, we'll be watching that. We want port point threes and point twos. We don't want point fours. Uh, anything else here, Adam, that you think will be interesting for markets? No, I think you nailed it in terms of the employment report. That's going to be key. I think it's really going to be interesting to see how the market reacts if it's above or below, and if we can stick to kind of this Goldilocks theme where it's not not too hot, not too not too cool with the labor market. Um, so I think that's going to be a key one to watch. And of course, the ISM data 
I think the ISM services will be interesting. Of course, the services sector, a big, big driver of our GDP. So we'll be watching that closely as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, the Fed minutes are also coming out this week. We want um, we want the economy to slow a bit from that, you know, breakneck pace of Q3. Uh, the Atlanta Fed GDP now is at a little over 2% for Q4. So clearly we're in a recession in Q4 based on the data, uh, but we did certainly slow and we would anticipate slowing further. Uh, our forecast, probably a little over 1% GDP for 2024. I think consensus is 1.4%. So we're a little lower than that. Um, we'll we'll have to see, uh, but um, you know, slowing job growth and sl and slowing inflation is certainly part of that. You would think with a slowing economy. So uh, the data this week should be consistent with that, and we should continue to cement the market's expectations for a pivot. Maybe not six, seven rate hikes for this year, uh, but certainly three or four in the back half of the year seems like a reasonable expectation if uh, inflation continues to come down. So. Um, that's the week ahead, um, and I, I think with that we'll we'll go ahead and, and wrap. Unless Adam, you have any closing uh, remarks to uh, to launch us into the new year? No, just wish everyone a great 2024. So looking forward to another year here at LPL Research. Awesome, yeah. Thanks everybody. Hope everybody had a wonderful New Year's. Th thanks for for listening. You know, it's it's great. We we have heard from some of you directly that you ha have enjoyed what we what we do. So please keep keep the feedback coming. Hopefully, mostly positive. <laughs> but keep the feedback coming. We'll take all feedback. Uh, appreciate uh, your support. So happy new year, everybody. Have a great 2024. And we'll see you um, next week for another edition of LPL Market Signals. This material was provided by LPL Financial, is for general information only, and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker-dealer, member FINRA and SIPC insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, please note LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker-dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency, not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposit or obligations, and may lose value.